reading this morning is from the first letter of Corinthians, chapter 7, verses 10 to 16, and it can be found on page 1146 of your church Bibles. To the married I give this command, not I but the Lord. A wife must not separate from her husband, but if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And a husband must not divorce his wife. To the rest I say this, I, not the Lord, if any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. The brother or the sister is not bound in such circumstances. God called us to live in peace. How do you know, wife? whether you will save your husband or how do you know husband whether you will save your wife this is the word of the Lord let's pray Father, we do pray and ask that you'd be with us this morning, and I ask particularly that you'd give us grace to hear your word, and Father, to have a desire to honour our marriages, but Lord, wisdom, when things are faltering, to know what to do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I can have the screen up behind me, thanks. There we go. This morning I'm going to speak on a very difficult topic, Uh, not that any of the subjects have been that easy of late. Uh, We've dealt with the whole issue of sexual purity, homosexuality, singleness, marriage, but today we're talking about divorce. And it's a very difficult topic to speak on as a Christian minister. Uh, I know a minister who preached a sermon series, and the series was called Six Reasons that you should not get divorced. The series was a significant one and he said many people commented to him about it, that it was very helpful. And he was feeling good about the message series and so what happened was the talks were turned into a small booklet. It was put to print. And 12 months after preaching the initial series, they had the booklets printed and they began to distribute them in the area in preparation for a series that they were preaching 12 months later on family living. And it went to a number of different venues and places outside the church. And a few days after the booklets had been given out, he got one that had been returned in the mail from a woman. And it had scrawled on the top where the title had been, Six Reasons You Should Not Get Divorced, Six reasons why I should get a divorce. The woman had listed the the following six reasons. One, he knocks me about. Two, 
One of my children, aged 11, is in a psychiatric hospital because of the way his father has molested him. Three, he earns over $100,000 but gives me only $4,000 to feed and clothe the five of us. Four, he sleeps around with the result that he's constantly got sexual diseases. Five, he only wants sex when he's drunk. And six, actually, I hate him. Now, at the bottom of the page, she added, Frank, you live in a world that does not exist for the rest of humanity. Now, this is a true story. It is from a number of years back. But I read it to make the point that as much as I want to teach, and we have been teaching and will continue to teach, that marriage is a lifelong union of a man and a woman based on unconditional promises that are for better or worse, or richer or poorer, or in sickness and in health, there does come a time that the Bible and God himself recognises that divorce is needed. And so we need to, with sensitivity and grace, come and talk about this topic of marriage and divorce this morning. Now, why are we doing it? Because it's what's come up before us in terms of the Bible reading that we've been going through in 1 Corinthians 7. And as I said to someone, uh, there's no hold backing, there's no hold bars when you come to 1 Corinthians. It deals with all sorts of issues and divorce is one of them. And I want to start by acknowledging as we talk about marriage and divorce that this is a very sensitive topic for many people. Uh, people have said to me, surely the talk on homosexuality would have been very difficult to give. Now, it was difficult. It's not difficult biblically to understand what the Bible says. It's difficult because of our culture is so opposed to what the Bible says. But this is a difficult topic, if I can say, from a biblical point of view. And the first is this. Uh, there's a lot of pain involved in people's lives when divorce happens. Some have said after a death, there is nothing as painful or as difficult to go through as a divorce. There are no winners in divorce. Rather, there are hurt and damaged parties and children. And when I was putting my keynote together for today's talk, I came across this picture on the internet. It's a very sad and sobering one. It's a, a kid's a picture that he has drawn or she's drawn. And on the left it says, it's your fault. No, it's your fault. And then the inscription, please just stop. Current statistics show that currently 47.4% of all marriages end in divorce. Now, apparently that's encouraging because it's dropped about 2 or 3% over the last couple of years. I don't find it encouraging at all. It's a very sobering number. Nearly half the marriages entered into by Australians are falling apart. And so the reality is this is a topic that touches many, many people, whether directly or indirectly. There's a lot of pain involved. Secondly, there's confusion. There are many questions raised in people's minds when it comes to this topic, and particularly people who are Christians and who want to honour what the Scriptures say to us. When is it okay to divorce your spouse? Is it okay to actually divorce your spouse? When is it not okay to divorce them? You can talk to, if I can say, good Bible-believing pastors who want to honour God's word 
and you will come up with a range of different views on this topic. It is one of the most complicated ones to work out in terms of practice. What do you say? What do we believe? People often ask me, what do I believe about divorce and remarriage? And my general answer is this. Uh, There are times when it's right to divorce and there are times when it's not. We want to try and honour the longevity and the sanctity of marriage as much as possible. But beyond that, I need to listen to individual stories and cases and apply the wisdom of the scriptures as the Bible doesn't have one principle that fits all cases. What the Bible does do, though, is recognise the reality that sadly marriages do break down. But thirdly, it's a difficult topic because of modern culture and there's no doubt that in our world today, particularly here in the West, it does not value the permanence and the sanctity of marriage that we as Bible-believing Christians would want to do. And since 1974, as introduced in the family law courts, we have what's called uh, no-fault divorce. And to get divorced in our country, you simply need to state that there are irreconcilable differences between you and your spouse and have lived apart for a year. And the result has been that the permanence and the exclusivity of our marriage in our culture has been completely eroded. And whilst there's definitely a time for people to divorce, our culture, it would appear to me, takes this as the easy road out when marriages are struggling and hard work could actually bring reconciliation and forgiveness and restoration of the marriage relationship. But it's worth saying one of the outcomes of believing strongly in the sanctity of marriage and the possibility of reconciliation and of repentance and forgiveness is that we can sometimes err in the church on the side of caution in recognising the reality and the need for divorce in certain situations. In other words, it becomes difficult for us as Christians to think biblically about marriage breakdown and go beyond the true conviction that marriage breakdown shouldn't happen. So what I want to say to us today, well, we want to go and have a look at the Bible, obviously, Uh, and so the first thing I want to do is if we can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Uh, And we're on page 1146. So if you get your Bibles out, we're going to look at a few different passages this morning. And the first thing that in uh, this passage we've got before us, we've been working our way through chapter 6 and 7. And I'm just focusing today on verses 10 through to 16. And what Paul says here at the beginning is, marriage is for keeps, don't divorce. Before I get to look at the verses, let me remind you about what marriage is. If you come here to get married, and if I conduct a service, these are the vows that you'll be asked to make to your spouse. These are the vows I made to my darling wife, Kath, uh, some 26 years and about four days ago. We had our 26th wedding anniversary on Wednesday. I said, I, Bruce, in the presence of God, take you, Kathy, to be my wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish as long as we both shall live. This is my solemn vow and promise. And Kath, I'm still happy to do it. I get the thumbs up. Good. Now, why is the service framed this way? It's because we understand that biblically, marriage is a covenant. It's a promise-based relationship. 
And so every time I perform a marriage, I say to the couple certain things. It's a bit like coming to McDonald's when you come to a wedding service I run. There's always something the same and there's always something different. You can always get your Big Mac and there's always something on special. And if you come to a wedding service, there's some things, and I tell them, I'm going to say the same thing every service that I conduct, and I'll say something different based on the Bible passage you give me. And the thing I say every time is marriage is a covenant. And the strength of the marriage, the longevity of the marriage, the happiness in the marriage can be directly tied to this reality, the way you honour the promises you make this day. And I firmly believe that. Marriages last, marriages endure, marriages have joy when couples honour their wedding vows. They make promises to each other, for better or worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish. And it's worth saying, I don't marry people. You can go to services in some other denominations where literally the priest will perform a liturgy over them, around them. And at times they're silent in the service. That's not what happens here. Because we recognise that a marriage is a covenant that is enacted between two people. And so when you marry, I don't marry them in the sense... I perform some ecclesiastical function upon them. I'm here to authorise what's happening and to witness it and to pray for God's blessing upon the union that's taking place. But a couple marry each other. That's what takes place. They make vows to each other. I always have couples over to my place and we have a nice time and I cook them dinner. But I'll sit them down and I'll look them in the eyes and I'll say this, do you still want to do this? Now they think I'm joking kind of, but I'm not. Do you still want to get married? Because you're about to make promises that are lifelong. And there is an incredible weight to those promises. And you see, it's into this context of biblical marriage, Paul says, don't separate or divorce. Let's have a look at verse 10. To the married... To the ones who have made promises to each other, I give this command, not I, but the Lord. A wife must not separate from her husband. But if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And a husband must not divorce his wife. Now, in our English translations, the word divorce appears on numbers of occasions in numbers of passages but it actually represents numbers of words in the original language. In other words, there's one word in the English which is a translation of a number of different words in the original Hebrew or the Greek. And these words in the original languages can mean to cast out, to drive out, to separate or to release. Uh, There's no actual exact equivalent for what we have in the English language for divorce. But what these words have in common is... They're used in various contexts to indicate that a marriage is ended. Now why I mention this is because in the passage before us, two words are used here. A wife must not separate and a husband must not divorce. 
It appears in the English language as though two different things are going on because that is a reality that we recognise, if I can say, in divorce law. You separate before you get divorced. But actually here in the original context, they meant the same thing. Uh, To separate means you are getting divorced. You see, to separate meant you were ending the marriage. You were divorcing, you were releasing, you were ending the marriage. And in the Greco-Roman world into which 1 Corinthians is written, in which the church existed, men and women could easily get divorced. In fact, it was very common practice, so common that there's actually an inscription there found of a couple who their marriage survived to the death of the first spouse. And the inscription reads about how they had lifelong love and how uncommon that was in that day because, you see, most people their marriages actually didn't last to the end. It was very uncommon. And so Paul's words here, based on the authority of the Lord Jesus, are actually incredibly countercultural to the people of Corinth of the day. A wife must not separate. A wife must not end the marriage with her husband. But if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. In other words, come back. A husband must not divorce his wife. And he says, if you do, you must not remarry because this, um, in the ancient world, people typically divorced in order to remarry. And you see, what was happening in Paul's, if I can say, the Corinthian culture was this, and you see it today. The marriage goes cold and you'll hear comments, you know, she doesn't meet my needs anymore, he doesn't meet my needs anymore, we've fallen out of love, Uh, the marriage has gone dead and you meet someone else. And you think, actually, I'm going to end this marriage because this looks far more attractive. And Paul says, don't do it. So the general command to Christians is don't divorce. It's interesting that Paul here is reflecting the teaching of the Lord Jesus. He says, to the married I give this command, not I but the Lord. Now, he's not quoting the Lord Jesus here, but there's the general assumption that he is, if I can say, reflecting exactly what the Lord Jesus taught in the Gospels which is that what God has brought together, humanity must not pull apart in marriage. So that's the general baseline message of Scripture. But into this context, we need to say this, while marriage is for keeps, the Bible does allow divorce. There's three reasons that I can see in Scripture. And I want to go through them this morning. The first of them is here in the passage before us. Abandonment. To the rest I say this, I, not the Lord. Now why does he put it that way? Uh, I take it it's because in the first instance, in teaching about marriage and divorce, he is reflecting on what the Lord Jesus taught in the Gospels. And the Lord Jesus spoke on a number of occasions about marriage and divorce. But the context of the Gospels is that you had, if I can say, God's people, Israel, together. You haven't got the context of what you have in Corinth. In Corinth, you've got people of all sorts of national background, typically not Jewish. And the church was filled with people who'd come to faith. 
And of these people who come to faith, many had spouses who had not come to faith. And so if you can imagine, Paul's gone in and he's preached the gospel. People have responded, but not husbands and wives typically together. You've got numbers of people who a husband has responded or a wife has responded, but the husband is not a Christian and the wife's not a Christian. Now, it's no different today. We have many people here who are husband and wife together following the Lord Jesus, but there are others who come here alone because their spouse is not a Christian. And that's a situation that was not happening in Israel because, you see, they were all God's people, if I can say, under the covenant. And so Paul gives this new instruction for the new situation. I, not the Lord. If any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who's not a believer and he's willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. And you see, the question that was being asked is this. um, So I've come to faith... But my partner is not a Christian. Should I get rid of them? Because you see, in their culture, it was quite common for people to divorce. So should I shun them because they're not part of the people of God? And Paul is saying very simply, um, if they're willing to live with you, you must not divorce them. And this is actually something that does happen on occasions. And I've seen it happen. And I've seen this very thing being asked of me. Uh, There was a friend, a woman who came to faith quite dramatically from quite a non-Christian background. Her name was Gail. She was on fire for Christ. But Graham didn't come to faith. Graham was not on fire for Christ. And she thought, oh, I want to get rid of him. We said, actually, no, that's not how it works, Gail. You've got to love him. Not get rid of him. (laughs) They're happily married today. Uh, He has come to faith, I understand. But... If the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. That's verse 15. The brother or the sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. You see, it's different if they leave. And one of the sad realities of married life is spouses on occasions are abandoned. They are left. And it could be for all sorts of reasons, and I've heard all sorts of reasons. Some, they just want out of the marriage and they just walk away. Others, it's for another person. But the baseline reality is they have been abandoned. And Paul says the brother or sister is not bound in such circumstances and the understanding there is they are free to remarry. In other words, the marriage has ended. And divorce is a reality that is permissible. Well, that's the first reason. The second, we need to look at what the Lord Jesus taught. Sexual immorality. And if you want to look up Matthew chapter 19, it's on page 986. I'm not going to read through the whole passage, just the two significant verses, which is verse 8 and 9. Uh, He's in question time with the Pharisees. It's difficult as it normally was with the Pharisees as they tried to skewer him with difficult questions and he responded with incredible wisdom. And on the question of marriage and divorce, he summarizes by saying, Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. In other words, not the intention of God the Creator at the beginning, but it is a recognition of sin that sometimes divorce is necessary. But it was not that way from the beginning. 
I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman commits adultery. Now the word there that is used in terms of marital unfaithfulness is the word that we saw a couple of weeks back, pornea. It means sexual immorality. It's a general word, speaking of sexual sin. The essence of marriage is that you give yourself exclusively to one person. And that person does the same for you. Faithfulness is what is called for in marriage, that you exclusively give yourself to your spouse. And you see, when you commit sexual immorality, i.e. you have an affair, i.e. you sleep around, i.e. you're addicted to pornography, you violate your marriage at the most profoundest of levels. There's no doubt in my mind that sex is one of the most profound acts that a couple can engage in. As a husband and wife are naked and they are physically united together in the sex act, literally becoming one. Sex is there to bind the couple together and unify it. Now, it's not the only purpose of sex. The procreation of children is a great blessing of sexual activity. But God gives us a pleasurable activity to actually build unity in a marriage. It's social, it's relational, it's physical, it's spiritual. It is intimate in all possible ways, unifying a husband and wife together. And what Jesus is saying is where there is sexual immorality, where there is unfaithfulness in the marriage act, I take it it destroys that marriage covenant. And it can destroy it on occasions in a way that is irreparable. Because the very essence of marriage is that you trust your partner. As you stand in front of the congregation when you get married, it is one of the most profound acts of trust that you are, on face value, you're going to believe your partner's words. And they're going to believe yours. And when those words are profoundly broken, it can destroy a marriage. And people are right to divorce in those situations. However, it is worth saying, divorce is not mandated. In other words, marriages don't have to end because of sexual sin. With repentance and forgiveness, reconciliation actually is possible. And I've seen this happen in some of the most remarkable ways. My minister I grew up with, who first encouraged me to read uh, Mark's Gospel, where I found Christ, ran off with a woman for three years and abandoned his family and actually lived on the other side of the country. Now, if ever there's a case for divorcing someone, that would be it, abandoned, sexual immorality. But the wife, in this incredible act of graciousness waited a number of years later he woke up one morning and said he came to his senses and he said it's like the devil had cast a dark cloud over his whole being 
And he woke up and saw the light and realised, my God, what have I done? And he rang his wife and repented and sought forgiveness and counselling and they were reconciled. It is an incredible story of the power of the gospel. But it's worth saying sometimes the damage is so deep it is not possible. And wives or husbands who have been sinned against in that way are fully justified in divorcing. The third is probably slightly more controversial. It's abuse. There's another reason I believe where divorce is justifiable and it's the whole area of abuse. And the biblical reasons for this do not appear as obviously as the first two I've mentioned. So let me explain what I think on this topic. As I've said, the nature of marriage as we've seen it is that a man and woman join together in a union where they become one flesh. It's what Genesis records is the intention of marriage, that the husband and wife will leave their father and their mother and they will join together and become one flesh and it says they were naked and unashamed. It's a relationship of profound union, relationally, emotionally, sexually. And the sexual union, as I've said, of a man and a woman symbolises the profound unity that is meant to occur in a marriage. Each partner serving the other with a sense of mutual love and respect in their various roles as husband and wife. And abuse in a marriage is the exact opposite of this. Rather than a relationship of mutual respect and service and love, it is rather a relationship of abuse and destruction and control. And if a loving sexual union binds a marriage together, violence and abuse, whether it be physical, emotional or financial or whatever, actually destroys a marriage bond, a marriage covenant. And when it repeats itself... Very soon there is no union. There is rather just fear and abuse. And I would say if that is occurring, the abused spouse need to get out for their own safety. And if there's children involved, to take them with them. Flee. There is no place for abuse in a marriage. Let me just say that again. There is no place in a marriage for abuse. And I will stand against anyone who is abusing their partner. I've had to go and confront men on this very issue. If you want a Bible text, I have a slightly obscure one for you. It's Deuteronomy 21 verse 14, page 196. And in preparation for the message, I was reading a whole bunch of the different verses on marriage and divorce. And there is one, and it's worth saying, the context um, is not a regular context. It's the context of war and slavery in the Old Testament. But I think there's a principle there that is instructive. It says, 
Deuteronomy 21, reading from verse 10 and then verse 14. When you go to war against your enemies and I, the Lord your God, deliver them into your hands and you take captives, if you notice among the captives a beautiful woman and are attracted to her, you may take her as your wife. And it says a few other things. And then in verse 14 it says this. If you are not pleased with her, let her go wherever she wishes. You must not sell her or treat her as a slave since you've dishonoured her. And you see, the reality of abuse is that actually the partner is treating people as a slave. There's an abusive relationship there. It is not a marriage of mutual love and respect. So when is divorce possible? When your spouse has left you, it is possible. When you have been sinned against with sexual unfaithfulness, and when you're being abused. But if I can add this, the Bible doesn't give circumstances when you must divorce someone. And I think the reason for this is that the Bible holds out the hope of transformation, of repentance, of forgiveness and reconciliation. Marriages are to be a symbol of the gospel and this means that when times are tough, we seek to hang in there and repent and change for the benefit of our spouse and for the benefit of the gospel. And I've seen in my time marriages survive some incredible mistakes and obstacles and if I can say deadness of relationship as the gospel has brought healing and hope to people as they have repented of sins and sought forgiveness for their actions. Reconciliation has taken place. Well, let me finish with just a few quick words, but I did want to put up one uh, final screen on the abuse one, which I forgot to put up. Um, often it is thought is mainly men against women, but the current statistics from the 2012 Australian Bureau of Statistics survey on personal safety in marriage is one in four victims are male. And I say that to acknowledge because often there are men who suffer, but they suffer in silence. And we need to help both men and women who are suffering in these abusive relationships. But I just want to say there are reasons why you should not divorce. And if I can just say very simply, my spouse is not a Christian is not a good reason. I don't love him anymore is not a good reason. Jesus said, love your wife. If you can't love them as your wife, love them as your neighbour, Jesus would say. But they're my enemy. Well, Jesus would say, love them as your enemy. We actually don't have an out clause at that level. He or she doesn't meet all my needs. I've heard that one many times. Well, actually, they will never meet all your needs. The only one who can meet your needs is actually the Lord Jesus. And we need to find strength and hope and meaning from him so that we can serve the one that we've promised to serve for our life. What if my marriage is in trouble? I would simply say, get help. Find a wise Christian person to talk to who will give you wise counsel because in these issues there are no if I can say right uh, simple instructions to give people wisdom is what is required we typically want to try and build marriages up and hold them together but as I'm saying this morning there are times when divorce is permissible and it is the right thing and the best thing to do And so let me close by saying this. Marriage is intended by God to be a lifelong, exclusive relationship between a man and a woman. 
In essence, it's a covenant or promise-based relationship that's meant to be a picture and symbol of the gospel. And in our fallen world like ours, they are impacted by our sinfulness and our weaknesses and our rebellion. And we need to do everything we can to try and uphold marriage and build marriages and repair and restore marriages as far as we possibly can. But in our fallen world, sometimes situations will arise where it's not possible for a marriage to be lifelong, where the marriage covenant is not just broken, it's actually destroyed. And although the Bible doesn't set out all these circumstances, there does appear to be cases where a radical breach of the marriage covenant through sexual infidelity or abandonment and desertion or abuse allow a divorce to take place. And I just want to say, if that's what you've been through or what you're going through, our hearts go out to you. Our prayers are for you. And we want to walk with you. All of us on this topic need to find strength and hope in the Lord Jesus Christ and in the love of our Father so that as best possible we can help marriages to endure but where that's not possible that we might bring the hope and the healing of the gospel to apply to people's lives. I'm going to stop now and we're going to listen to a song that Nikki's going to sing for us about the Father's love because at the end of the day that is what we need to be strengthened by the incredible love of our Heavenly Father for us and allow that to work out in the different situations we're in. So Nikki's going to come up and sing and then I'm going to pray for us after that before we close our service.